we were going to talk about the last week in the life of Jesus up to his crucifixion and resurrection. So this morning I'd like to continue that as we have time. We looked at the, the activities of Jesus on the Sunday, the first day of the week. He'd been in Bethany, had been to a feast, when Lazarus and Simon the leper had been honored, and Jesus had healed them, and I'm sure he was the one who was being honored. Then on the Sunday, they make their way from Bethany. Now, two ways from Bethany to Jerusalem is just a couple of miles away. One was over the Mount of Olives, and then down into Jerusalem. The other would be around a more level road. But it would appear that he's going over the hill now. And he's looking down upon Jerusalem. And he begins to weep. Because they had not recognized God's visitation. And sending Jesus to become their savior. And he wept aloud. We hear the children as well as the others crying out Hosanna to the highest to the kingdom of David, putting their coats and the palm branches out before him as a mark of celebration and honor. Then we find him going back that evening to Bethany or to the Mount of Olives. And so this is Monday morning. And as he comes out, he sees a fig tree. He hadn't had any breakfast, evidently, and so he's seeking something to eat. But he goes to the tree, and it's a far off. There's nothing there. He curses the tree that it will bear no more fruit forever. People see that. Now, they go on into Jerusalem, come back the next day, and they notice it's all withered. But I'm going to put it all together right now instead of referring to it the next time. When they come back, they notice that the big tree is all withered. And they, uh, they comment on it. And Jesus says that this is uh, sort of a parable. It's an enacted parable of the Jewish people. Let me read first the passage that we find in uh, Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. And this is a parable. Jesus is speaking. And he spake this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit thereon and found none. And he said unto the vine dresser, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why doth it also cumber the ground? And he answering saith unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit thenceforth, well. But if not, thou shalt cut it down. We see a parable here. 
when Jesus cursed the fig tree. And they noticed it, and they called his attention to it. We noticed first that they were, the tree was afar off. It wasn't with the others, it was separated. And wasn't that true of the Jewish people? God called them to be a separate people. They were not to be like the Gentiles. They were not to have any dealings with those who practiced idolatry and the other things that would lead them away from God. They weren't always obedient, were they? But they were separate from the others. Also, we notice here that they had leaves. The tree had leaves. And the leaves and the fruit generally came about the same time. They had the leaves, but they had no fruit. The, the, I say they, the tree. And this is a, a, show, a, a showy pretension. Pretentious. And certainly the Jewish people were that way. They were pretentious. God's people. God's only people. But they were not and did not bear fruit. Another thing we notice is that they were, there was nothing there on. It was barren. So there was barren of results, and so were the Jewish people. God had promised if they would be obedient to him that he would bless them. They would stand out from all the peoples round about them by just being obedient to God because he would bring it about. But they were not that obedient to God. Now back during David's time, it appeared that way in Solomon's time, and people looked at them. But no, not after that. Barren of results. There was nothing thereon. And the fourth point, judgment. When Jesus pronounced the curse, bear no more fruit, he said to the Jewish people, because you did not accept me, crucified me, judgment's coming. Not just the final judgment that everybody will be uh, a part of, but it will be the judgment that God sends by using the Roman army to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. That was against the Jews and the Jewish nation. Judgment was coming. And so, he pronounces this curse upon the tree, goes on into the city of Jerusalem. This is a Monday. This is four days before the Passover. And according to Exodus 12 and verse 2, on the tenth day before the Passover, that's four days before, they were all to be there in Jerusalem and they were to select their animal, a goat or a lamb. That was to be their Passover. And so the people would be there on that day, ahead of time, waiting for the Passover. So Jesus knew there would be a lot of people. A million some would come and they would come from all parts of the world because all the men were required on three holidays, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, to go to Jerusalem. This was one of those three days. When Jesus entered into the temple, what did he find? He found where they had made this a den of robbers, and it was supposed to be a house of prayer. And so he began to overthrow their tables. They were extortioners. Now, they were providing a service, but they were taking advantage of the people. The law provided for those who came to Jerusalem from any distance. They didn't have to carry or lead their animal. When they got to Jerusalem, they could buy one. And so here were people who brought animals for sale, 
to provide for these people who had come to worship on the Passover. And also there were money changers. They would only take the money that was used in the temple. Wouldn't take any of the money that the Romans used. And these people came, as we noticed in Acts 2, from some 15 different places on another Passover. And uh, on a Pentecost, I'm sorry. So when they came from a foreign nation, they could only use the money the temple would accept. So they had money changers, which was a good service too. But they were extortioners. They were having a high rate of exchange, and Jesus recognized that. The high priest and those of the Sanhedrin had a part in this. You know, they got a cut out of it. They were not being honest. They required so much of the people and exchanging the money. So the money changers got a part and the priests got a part. And the Lord says, you're robbers. So he overturned the tables. Caused these people to leave and to force the animals out of the temple. They were there in the court of Gentiles. He said, don't even let people pass through here that are carrying the household goods. It's a sacred place. So the Lord cleanses the temple again. When we turn back to Acts, I mean John chapter 2, we find when he began his public ministry, he did it then. Here he is at the end of his public ministry doing it again. People haven't learned that. They haven't changed. They're still defiling the temple in this manner. He goes into the temple and heals people. And then at the end of the day, he goes back to Bethany. The next morning, Tuesday, he comes on. And this time, while he's teaching, he's interrupted. The chief priests, the scribes, Pharisees, the elders, they come to him and they say, Now, we want to know by what authority thou dost these things. What things? Well, the casting out of these money changers, the overthrow of those people, the teaching that he had, and perhaps even the seating. By what authority are you doing this? I mean, we're the Jewish leaders, and we didn't give you the authority. Where did you get it? But he said, I'll answer your question if you'll answer my question. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or from men? Well, that put them in a dilemma, did it not? And so they got in a huddle before they answered him to say, now, what do we want to say? If we were to say that the John the Baptist was authorized by heaven, then he's going to say to us, then why didn't you believe him? Why did you not let him baptize you? Why did you not repent? So we cannot answer that way. Then they think, well, the other alternative, if we say it's from men, we fear the multitude. Because they all accept John as a prophet. And so they came back to Jesus and said, um, we know not. Well, they were lying. They didn't want to commit themselves. And by not committing themselves, what they were saying was, we're not going to commit ourselves to those whom God has authorized. God had authorized John the Baptist. And John had stood up and told people they need to repent, to get ready to receive the Messiah. And then he gave testimony that Jesus was that Messiah. So he had John's testimony. 
from heaven. And then Jesus' own life and teaching was enough evidence to show that he had been commissioned by heaven. And so Jesus said, well, you won't answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours. And it wasn't that he was being unkind, it's just that it wouldn't do any good. If they would not accept John's testimony and his own testimony in life and so forth, what he would say then wouldn't help any. They had rejected the authority of heaven in rejecting John and Jesus. When we turn over to Luke, and I think it's chapter, well, I've forgotten what chapter it is now. Uh, I'll tell you what he says, though. I want to say it's chapter 7, but that doesn't seem right. In verse 30, it says that uh, people came out to be baptized with John, and John baptized them. But the elders and the Pharisees and the chief priests, they would not be baptized of John. Therefore, they rejected the wisdom of God, we find there. So, after Jesus had um, answered theirs, he began to tell them some parables. In fact, he had three parables. don't know if we can get through all three of them, but let's start with one of them. In verse 20, we're back in Matthew 21. Verse 23 is when they come and ask him the question, and they say, well, we don't know whether... John was baptized, I mean, was authorized by heaven or by men. And then he told them a parable. Let's see, it starts in about verse 27. And Jesus said unto them, and they answered Jesus and said, We know not. Verse 28, But what think ye? Here's the parable. A man had two sons. So here's a father, he has two sons. He says to the first son, Son, go work in the vineyard today. He says, I will not. So the father turns to the second son, says the same thing. Go work in the vineyard today. Ask kindly. He said, I go. But he went not. Now Jesus is telling us that these two sons represent the two classes, we'll call them, of the Jewish people. The first son who said, uh, I will not go, but later went, represented the common Jewish people. That included the publicans and the harlots, the lowest strata of social life among the Jews. The publicans were tax collectors, collecting taxes for the Romans that they all hated, and some of them were taking more than they were supposed to take. And the harlots, of course, were prostitutes. But when they heard John preach, they responded. They repented. They changed their lives. And that was like the first son. Who were, they were living in a sinful way, contrary to God's will. But when they heard John preach, they changed. They came to John to be baptized. When we turn her over to, uh, to Luke, I think it's about verse chapter 13. People came to John asking questions. And among those who came were the publicans. They came to be baptized of John. They said, now, what should we do? And he said, extort no more than that which is required. In other words, here's so much, that's what the Romans say they want, and that's as much as you should take. You go beyond that, that's extortion. So that was the one item that's listed here. That they were to change, but they did. 
Jesus met and ate with these people that the Pharisees wouldn't consider being with. In fact, they condemned Jesus and his, his uh, disciples for, uh, for doing that. Doesn't he know what kind of people these are? Jesus is saying, but they repented. And you won't repent. They said, no, I'm not going to, this first son. But he did change. He did repent. That is, he changed his mind. And then he went to the vineyard. But the other son, the one who said, oh, yeah, I'll go, but never went. That was the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. They're the ones who thought they were the religious elite among all the Jewish people. They thought they were the righteous ones. I mean, they obeyed these traditions and the law, but their heart wasn't right. When we turn over to Matthew 23, we find where Jesus condemns them for their hypocrisy. And they wouldn't go. And then Jesus tells them, after he tells them this parable, verse 20, 32, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye saw it, did not even repent yourselves afterward that ye might believe him. When they saw these publicans and harlots changing their lives, that ought to have said something to them. But that didn't change them. They were above all of that. And then he tells them about another parable. Here, another parable. And maybe we have time for this one. Verse uh, 33. There was a man who had a house, who was a householder. And he set up the vineyard, provided for all the things, you know, the tower and the place where they press the grapes and all, all of this. And then he went off into a far country. Of course, this is representing God or the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the time for the fruit to be ripe, he sent some of his servants. They were like tenant farmers. We might say they were tenant vine dressers. But when they saw the servants coming for their share, he said, let's don't give it to them. So they beat them up, killed some of them, stoned them. Sent some more, the householder did, and uh, the same thing happened to them. Finally, the householder said, I'll send my son. They'll respect him. Of course, the householder is God, the father. The son is Jesus Christ. He came unto his vineyard, and what did they do? They said, here comes a son. And if we kill him, then we'll have all of this will be ours. I don't know why they thought that, but that's what they thought. And so they took the son outside the vineyard and slew him. What's Jesus telling us what's going to happen? Jesus Christ had come. And at the right time in God's schedule, they're going to take him outside Jerusalem and crucify him. I think there's a reference to this in Hebrews 13, and let me read a couple of verses. Can I combine Hebrews? Comparing with the uh, animal sacrifices. Verse 12. No, verse 11. 
For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest, and offering for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, for the same reason, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered without the gate. Here Jesus is following this type. The animals, the lamb. He is, this, Jesus was the lamb of God. John introduces him as, taketh away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is taken outside Jerusalem, nailed to the cross. Because his, his death was a, was a sin offering. The blood of animals could not take away sin, but the blood of Jesus could and did. He died on the cross outside of Jerusalem at Golgotha for our sins. Well, we'll have to just pause there. He died for your sins and he died for my sins. He's coming again. Went off into a far country. And at the right time, his time, he's coming again. A lot of people have died since then. Been buried in graves and tombs. But when he comes, they're all going to be raised. If we're still alive, we'll just be changed to meet him up in the, in the heavens. But if we're not, we'll be like the rest of the people, raised up. A new life. But if we're in Christ, when we die, we're going to be raised and placed on his right hand. As he sits upon the throne of judgment. But if we neglected him. If we are not surrendered to him. If we have not obeyed the gospel. We are going to be lost. We are lost in our sins. We have an opportunity to be saved. Because of what he did at the cross. Have you surrendered to him? That is the question. Surrendering it means that we will obey him. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. That's Jesus' own words. But whether it's by Peter or Paul or any of the inspired disciples, it's still the truth. Peter said, repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, by his authority, for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two promises. Obey the gospel, you'll have all your sins wiped away by the blood of Christ. The second is we'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Our bodies will then be a temple and are a temple for the child of God. And so we have to keep it holy. So he'll want to remain there. As the first fruits, well, as the down payment, I'll use it. To seal our salvation, our eternal promise to go to heaven. If you have not obeyed the gospel or completed your obedience, could we encourage you to do that this morning? It's for your benefit, but it'll bring glory to God. So as we stand and sing, would you come?